When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 266 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Adam, and I'm by myself today because Jill and I recorded an intro, and then for some reason it didn't properly record, so it was all wonky, and then uh, she was out of the office by the time I I got to to try and edit it. So um, the irony being that in our introduction, we talked all about how we fixed our microphones, and there was all this gross like echoey stuff in the background that we had to deal with on our end that you guys never heard but it was very very cumbersome and then we fixed it and then um user error on my end we forgot to properly record it so this is all apropos of nothing uh recording this the day after reading ebook day which is probably why that happened because i'm a little snoozy um so that's entirely okay but hope you guys had a great reading ebook day um if you didn't know that September 18th was reading ebook day, guess what? Every day can be reading ebook day. So go borrow something to read. It's, you know, you're listening to this podcast. So we've got all sorts of recommendations for you. Uh, speaking of recommendations, I have a wonderful book to recommend to you because the author of said book is on today's episode. It is Carrie Maniscalco, who is coming back. And she has a new book out called Escaping from Houdini, which is part of her Stalking Jack the Ripper series. Um, The first two titles were New York Times number one bestsellers, and uh, I'm a little bit of a a buddy with Carrie now, so sent them an email, said, hey, come on on, and she happily obliged, um, which makes my wife very happy because of the over 100 Uh, well over a hundred interviews we've done at this point for the podcast. Uh, Carrie is my wife's number one favorite person who's ever been on. I think that might include me as well, actually. I think she likes Carrie better than me, but that is okay. No worries. Um, So we had a whole bunch of fun talking about all sorts of stuff. It was a blast. Um, And if you want to get a hold of us, if you have feedback, if you're curious about anything, if you have questions for Carrie yourself and you want to follow up, uh, you can send them to me and I will happily shoot her an email and you can do all those things by going to professionalbooknerds.com. That is our website. Uh, there you'll find our Twitter and our Instagram at ProBookNerds. And you can also join our Viber reading community. Uh, if you haven't done that already, I don't know what you're waiting for. There's so much wonderful bookish conversation going on, not just between Jill and I, but amongst a whole bunch of people. So um, definitely do that. And I'm going to beg one more time, if you guys don't mind, if you would go into... Uh, iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts and just tap that little five-star rating for us. Maybe leave us a review. Uh, It's something that I feel all of us podcasters beg people to do, but it really does help people find us just a little bit easier. Um, Okay, lots of fun stuff coming up. 
uh, in the nearest future. Very excited about whole sorts of different kinds of episodes. Um, but for now, also incredibly excited about today. So I hope you very, very, very much enjoy this wonderful chat with Carrie Maniscalco, uh, the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Adam again, and today I am super excited to be welcoming back Carrie Maniscalco on the podcast. Longtime listeners will remember that the first time she was on, we were talking about her first two books, Stalking Jack the Ripper, which is a New York Times number one bestseller, and Hunting Prince Dracula. Today, we are going to be talking about her third book, Escaping from Houdini, which, not for nothing, I love your books very much, but I have to tell you, I think I've told you before, you happen to have written my wife's favorite two books in the world over the past few years. So, in addition to me being very lucky to talk with you, my wife is very excited that we were talking. So, Carrie, thank you for coming back. Thank you so much for having me, Adam. And your wife is the cutest. I'm just I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Thank she, you for a big hug for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she she was the one where uh, when we were talking the first time and your publisher sent me a couple of your books, uh, the first two books, they sent me a copy of them. And then I saw her like wandering around a bookstore buying additional <laughs> copies. And I was like, hey, sweetie, what are you doing? She's like, uh, Carrie's amazing. I need to make sure I buy these and give them to other people. So she is... I love her. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's spreading the good world. Okay, so can you give our listeners a little introduction to Escaping from Houdini? Okay, so Escaping from Houdini, I like to say that this, the anthem for it, is Magic, Mischief, and Mayhem. <laughs> so you've got Audrey Rose and Thomas and their cast of characters, and they're on this luxury liner. It's kind of like the Titanic. And what could possibly go wrong with that <laughs> opening, right? I, so I, they're I, on a ship. Go ahead. They're traveling to America, and it's supposed to be a little bit of a respite. You know, they've gone through a couple of really crappy cases. It's been really hard and murdery and bloody. And then, yeah, they can't escape it. The circus is on deck, and murders are kind of themed around some of the tarot cards that are... Yeah, it's just... It's kind of a floating nightmare. <laughs> it would have been really funny, you know, talking about how it was supposed to be a little bit of, like, a respite for them. I, I, I don't think your publisher would have been very happy with this, but if you wrote a whole third novel that literally was just, like... 300 pages of them just enjoying a a cruise just like yeah so here's what i got for my draft (laughs) my daughter's like um do you think that maybe we could have a little bit more action no they want to sit on the deck and they can have some cocktails and i'm just imagining them enjoy a show or two yeah i'm imagining them like them sending you that thing that we all saw in high school that explains how a plot works and like how you're supposed to build up to something like that graph and them just being like See where this goes at the top here, Carrie? You never added any of that. Um, you can't just have all kissing in this book. You just can't do it, okay? <laughs> um, okay, so I have to ask why I, I personally am fascinated by carnivals, but what is it about you that you kind of wanted to have, like, the circus slash kind of carnival involved in this particular story? I think that circuses are always just, they're really, really cool, but they're also really creepy. Um when I was little, my parents used to take us to the circus every time it came to Madison Square Garden. So seeing the clowns, I have a huge, huge, huge phobia of clowns. So right off the bat, I like to usually include things that freak me out a little bit into my writing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think just like trying to figure out the characters behind the performances, what made them join the circus, what was going on, the costumes, the creep factor. <laughs> I was just really 
It was something I was really excited about. I have to, I share. fun fact. Yeah. It was actually going to be the second book in the series, but my editor was like, how about we do the Dracula book second, and then we'll do the circus book third. Okay, so we kind of talked about this the first time, but I'm curious, with the fact that you had the idea for the third one and the second one kind of together, how many ideas do you have like in your mind in advance that you know or you know especially now that you're you know an established author and you're working with uh, the same publisher and everything how many stories of these do you have like in advance kind of in your mind where you can decide which ones go where well for this series i think that when we had first pitched it to my editor we had um my agent had asked for like three or four extra titles to just kind of like give them ideas of where the series could go or anything so i had given them probably about four or five wow that's... and i felt really comfortable with just having the the four book arc i think that it's going to be the natural conclusion to the storyline mm-hmm. but then i have like two or three others that are kind of plaguing my mind a little bit <laughs> where i'll jot ideas down and yeah you never know what the future holds yeah oh well and also i imagine that you could do the thing that that authors do that have a, an incredible established world like you've created here where you could you know go and write a different series and then come back and all of your fans will go crazy if you you know you put another book in this particular world i'm sure you know you've always got that in your back pocket which is nice yeah there's a couple of side characters that we've met over the first couple of books mm-hmm. that it would be it would be fun to explore their stories to kind of see what their lives were like, what they were doing while Thomas and Audrey Rose were kind of mm-hmm. off solving murder. So <laughs> yeah. you never know. And I have to say, so you know, you, you started mm-hmm. with the streets of London, and then like you met, we you did you know Vlad's Castle, and now you're not only do you have a carnival, but you have it on a boat, and I feel like that adds a really new element in the sense that like your characters, you literally, if you're on a boat, you cannot escape. Like you can't no get away. <laughs> Is, no escape at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've, uh, what are your thoughts in general on like cruises and boats and things? Because I personally am actually kind of, speaking of things we're afraid of, like I'm kind of creeped out by the idea of a, even like a giant cruise ship, which is like a city. Like I'm personally kind of creeped out by those. I'm completely creeped out. Like I don't think I would ever really actually go on a cruise. Mm-hmm. I think that they're great in concept, but I don't like the whole idea of being trapped at sea on this little vessel that I can't escape from. Just in case the serial killer is on board and starts wreaking havoc, you know? Is this how your is this how your mind works for like every situation in your life now? This is probably like everything boils back down to is a serial killer on here? Would it freak me out? What would be the worst possible thing I could imagine? And then I'm like, yes, that's the next book. Oh my god, that's so funny. <laughs> Just every single situation, it's like, okay, how can I turn this into somewhat of a creepy kind of a horror movie? <laughs> what? Um, were there any you know, the last time we talked? You were talking about how the things that you had to research, you know, probably puts you on some watch lists and things like that. So what were sort of, were there any weird things that you came across for this book while you were researching? There's just a whole bunch of still, like, the dead body stuff, like, what does a body smell like if it's here, or if there's a body part, kind of just um, dismemberment. I had to study. Um, <laughs> I had to do a lot of studying of tarot cards and what they look like, because mm-hmm. um, some of the deaths are reenacted as tarot cards. So that was that was interesting, and I didn't really know what to make of it. I was like, people are going to think I'm just, and by people I mean the FBI. It's like, what, she is going to be planning some kind of epic yeah. oh, murder spree. So um, something else that I really love that's in the book is at the beginning of, of like certain chapters, you have 
various pictures of like old timey like you have I think there's like Victorian contortionists in there and you have one of um like plague doctors the very creepy cast like outfit that they used to have to wear was that something that you wanted to put into the story or is that something that you were working with like your publisher on because it adds such a interesting element to the sections of the book Thank you. I love having pictures included. I think that it's just it's something that's really fun. I love having different visual elements. I'm such a visual person. I have my Pinterest boards for all my books that I have set up. Like, I just really need to see something and kind of describe it. So, yeah, the pictures are definitely something that I've included, and my publisher has been all for it. They're always like, hey, do you want to add some more pictures? I'm like, yes, let's do this. So are these things that, and, you, um, that you were looking up? Yeah, those are all pictures that I've looked up. Usually when I'm first drafting, I'll kind of have the scenes figured out with what I want to do, and I'll look for pictures to to kind of, like, describe some of them. Mm -hmm. And then also at the same time, I'm looking for pictures that I can buy the rights to or they're in the public domain so I can include them pretty early on. I think for Escaping from Houdini, um, by the second draft, I had pretty much all the photos set. Man, I... Are there any that, like, jump out to you that you remember particularly? Like I said, the the contortionist whose body is absolutely backwards from what a body should look like, and then the plague doctor. That's one of my favorites. Oh, goodness. That, I, I couldn't. I was like, this is so cool. I know that image. I've seen it on Pinterest before, too, and when I bought the rights to it, I was like, I don't even care. It's just it's such a cool slash creepy image. Um, there's also one, and I think it's circus performers, just girls in their circus costumes mm-hmm. from the 1800s. I really liked that one. Um yeah, I'm trying, yeah I'm, basically I'm, the plague doctor one freaks me out oh that one is so creepy and it is like i i know for a fact that that is a real place like outfit that people used to wear but i feel like i've i've seen like over the past five years i feel like i've seen the plague doctor mask in like so many horror movies and things it's just oh it's yeah. so so creepy <laughs> It is just so creepy. And then, like, in the book where it just it looks kind of like a skull. Oh, mm-hmm. no. So, for, I give myself nightmares. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just going to say, I can only imagine. And for people who are listening, I just, you know, I'm I'm flipping through a book talking to you, and I'm on a podcast. I should probably describe it. Like, the Plague Doctor look, it's like, it's almost like a Puritan robe with, like, a hat that you would see, like, a, a settler wearing. But then the mask is, like... Almost like a bird beak? Is that how you... Like, like a bird beak, yeah. It looks like a bird skull. Oh, it's so, so creepy. And, like, isn't it they used to do that to, like, keep the oxygen away from... Like, do you remember why they, they wore these things? They would put um, herbs in the tip of the beak so mm-hmm. that the plague doctors who were going around to all the plague victims, they would just kind of breathe in the herbal medicine to kind of keep it blocking, mm-hmm. hopefully, from getting the disease yeah i all right I, so. that's that's enough plague tangent i'm sorry i just like <laughs> i remember going through that as i was reading the book and just being like i oh my god this I, it's like stuck with me the past like two weeks so i blame <laughs> you for that um <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> uh what of this particular book like what was your favorite aspect of writing this book i think that for me it was really really fun to kind of craft a journey Mm -hmm. and not just a journey across the sea, a literal journey, but an emotional journey. I kind of had a really, I know it's going to be awful for readers, but I had a really great time including (laughs) different emotional aspects, you know, heartbreak and joy and swoony scenes. Yeah. 
Marjorie's character and her going undercover was definitely, it was something fun to explore a new facet of her personality, I think. And do you feel like, did anything feel especially different writing this book from the first two? Like, you know, I feel like everyone always talks about they spend, you know, five, ten years thinking of and dreaming about and writing their first novel. And then, you know, when you, you sign a book deal like this, you kind of have to start, you know, cranking them out. And you mentioned having like three or four ideas in advance. But like, did anything feel particularly different about this? Or does it feel that you have like beats that you hit now when you're when you're writing? I guess it's like from the from a craft standpoint, like what feels the same or different for you now that you're kind of in a groove? I wish I had beats because it would be helping me with drafting book four right now. Um, this one was actually probably the hardest for me, and mostly because of my Lyme disease. Mm-hmm. It had gotten so bad that I literally couldn't read more than one sentence at a time because I couldn't retain any information. So it was it was a challenge to actually work to the deadline and be able to kind of comprehend what I was doing. So I joked with my agent, like, by the time the first and second draft were done, I, ha- I had no physical memory of the book at all. Like, I would go back and read it and be like, oh, wow, that's okay, I like that. <laughs> but yeah, there was, like, just no no kind of recollection whatsoever. So it was a challenge, but it's also something that I think that with characters, one of the reasons we read is because we love hearing the struggle and we love seeing the struggle. And while I would really not like to struggle like that in the future, it was just, it's something I'm so proud of now because of all the hard work and this kind of feeling of, I'm never going to finish this. And yeah, I was I was just going to say, like, with, you know, you know, getting, you know, sick and everything that you've you've talked about in the past, like, is that something that you feel like you put into your characters, sort of the, the personal, like, stuff that you, you go through? Like, is that how you, do you use your books and your writing as, a, as an outlet for, you know, what I imagine must be some frustrating stuff that you have to go through? I've definitely crafted some of Audrey's, um, some of the events that happened to her in this book. Um, I found that it's stuff that has happened. Um, I'm trying to think of what to say without giving away a spoiler. Yeah. But towards the end, like some an event that happens towards the end, it's taken very much from my own hardships mm-hmm. that I've been going through. So I kind of thought it was just really important to put in some of that representation for anyone else who might be struggling so that they could see that their heroes and heroines don't necessarily always have to just, you know, be completely able-bodied, so... I have to, that yeah. that was bad podcasting on my part. I almost led you into a spoiler. That was I'll <laughs> no. I'll take the blame on that. Um, so was there anything like we we talked about last time about how like you grew up in what I believe you called a semi haunted house, and you didn't really super love you know scary things personally. So how do you like how do you get yourself in the mood to write like? gothic creepy stories like this like is there something you have to like do you have to be in the right frame of mind do you have i'm i honestly am imagining you having a like a writer's room that's like a steampunk gothic like (laughs) specific library i actually usually when i'm okay so i think that one scene in stalking jack the ripper which always stands out to me the most because it was just it was so gross it was just like her sticking her hand in a dead body Uh and like mucus and viscera all over and she's kind of like describing the sensation of it and meanwhile i'm sitting in my room under a soft blanket with some tea and my little cat next to me and i'm kind of like giggling about it thinking about what i'm going to make for brunch i'm like this is so so twisted and wrong 
I'm usually in a really good, happy place when I'm writing some of this really dark stuff. <laughs> oh, man, that's so funny. Um, oh, My mom's I'm... like, you had such a good childhood. Where did this come from? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Maybe it's because you don't have, like inner demons that are haunting you internally <laughs> you can like you can put stuff on the outside maybe i don't know right maybe maybe that's it and i do fall asleep to the investigation discovery channel I, usually i'll put on like a show about serial killers and i'll lay down i'll be like trying to relax at night and then i pass out so it's like it's my sleepy time place <laughs> that's so do you ever like wake up with nightmares <laughs> or anything like you wake up in the middle of the night like oh i have a story idea i wonder where that came from <laughs> sometimes i do jot notes I do like to watch it because I like seeing how a case unfolds and mm-hmm. all the different red herrings and the suspects and kind of how the police investigation unfolds as it's going and what leads they run down. So, yeah, I do definitely take notes. That, yeah, that actually, okay, that, that, that leads me to a question. So when you are obviously, like you said, you're taking notes on like the kind of the, the true crime stuff that's going on and, and crime investigation things, but... When you're writing your stories, do you find yourself as a reader reading books that are kind of similar to yours, or do you like to stay outside of the genre, or are you just reading entirely for research? Like, what is, as a reader, how do you approach the books when you're writing something else? When I'm drafting, I usually try to stay clear of anything that's in a similar vein, mm-hmm. just because I don't want any kind of influences coming in. Um, and unfortunately, I just haven't really had enough time to read the way I want to. Mm-hmm. When I'm drafting, it's usually just deadline drafting is so much harder. <laughs> <laughs> so I find it's like just doing that and then watching something. Like I'll watch a lot of shows to mm-hmm. kind of get myself into the true crime element. Um, but yeah, if I do read, it'll be like a fantasy or science fiction. I like to kind of immerse myself in that because I really love world building Mm -hmm. and I find that if I'm reading fantasy or science fiction that it's helping me you know create a world that feels fantastical even though it's historical do you see yourself overwriting something that is kind of a little bit more fantastical and creating a world from scratch for yourself definitely um stalking Jack the Ripper was like my seventh or eighth book that I had written before Mm -hmm. I actually got that elusive publishing (laughs) And some of my previous ones were actually, I think almost all of them were fantasy or science fiction. I, okay, that, I've never asked anyone this, but now that just, you made it, brought up a really good point. Having several <laughs> books that you have written in the past, and now that I would imagine you would consider yourself a more kind of established and a, a, a perhaps a better writer than you were back then, like, do you think when you're, you know, done with, the series that you're currently writing with all the stocking Jack, Jack the Ripper books, like, do you think you might go back to the ones that you've written and kind of like try to clean them up and then pitch those to your existing publisher and be like, Hey, look, this is actually a good story. And my name has some clout now. Like, would you, have you ever considered? Let's fix this. Yeah. There are a couple of ideas where it's like, it would be fun to go back and like completely start from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a fun fact for you. Yes. Um, hunting Prince Dracula. Some of that, I actually had taken from a previous book. It was like a fantasy adventure. And I rewrote the scenes and I included that in Hunting Prince Dracula. So kind of without being spoilery, Mm -hmm. just the under the castle scenes. Like a lot of those were from a previous unpublished book that I got to use. And my agent was like, hey, wait, you did this from this. I was like, I did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Actually, along those same lines, like, do you have a favorite maybe like a favorite character or or story in, in fantasy that you would 
Like, is there a world out there that you wish you could write a story in? This is a good and slash really hard question, Adam. Because <laughs> I think the thing that I love about some of the fantasy is that I, I love getting lost in it. And it's like, it's just fun to be a reader. Mm-hmm. Like, I love Holly Black's world that she created for The Cruel Prince. Yes. Like, oh, it's just it's so fun. I I love her characters. And they're unreliable. And they're just great in every sense of the word. And I love that. But I like reading it. Um, same for... I think Stephanie Garber's books, Mm -hmm. I love getting swept away into, like, the magic and all the prettiness of Caravelle and Legendary. Yeah, I was just going to say, I feel like, as you were, I didn't want to cut you off, but I feel like you guys do, like, especially with Escaping from Houdini, like, I could definitely see, like, you and Stephanie going on a book tour together and, like having it be like a carnival themed thing i feel like you two could definitely make that work we've talked about we want to do like a murder mystery dinner like at a launch it would be so fun to have just the carnival theme so we're pushing for it listen i have our cruise i was like i don't know if anyone wants to go on the cruise with us after reading escaping from houdini with the murder as theme Uh, well listen i can i can tell you if you i can't promise anything if it's a cruise but if you do the 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 murder mystery thing and you bring it to Cleveland, I can guarantee you at least two people that would come because my wife and I would absolutely it would be fun, come. right? Yeah, that's what we just have to get more people on board with this. Like, come on, let's do this. I, I feel like no, that's such a cool thing because normally when you when you get book signing and when book tours, it's, you know, like book signings and sometimes you'll do like your book read and then there'll be like a Q&A. I think it'd be really fun to set up a, you know, something like a, a murder mystery thing or like a, an escape room or like something where... Right? Oh. Yeah. Maybe I'm yeah, a... escape room would be awesome too for Caravelle. Yeah, all right. I might I might have to have a side job now of creating new ideas for authors. This sounds like a good idea. So, um, yeah, this will be fun. Yeah. All right. So, what like in the kind of the the writing world? You were talking about drafting your fourth book and everything, but like, what is most exciting to you right now about kind of like literature in general? Like, whether it's books that you're looking forward to reading, or what you're working on right now, or just the fact that. Escaping from Houdini is coming out. Like, what gets you most excited about the literary world? Oh my gosh, there's so many options. <laughs> I, I'm really, really excited about Escaping from Houdini publishing. Mm-hmm. I think that because of the struggle with this book um, and that it didn't come easily, mm-hmm. that just publication day, I'm probably just going to be like a crying, like <laughs> ugly crying mess. Just, it's so surreal still. Mm-hmm that any of this is even going on, let alone having it be the third book. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I keep telling my editor, it's like, how are we here? <laughs> like, how is book four getting drafted? Like, how is book three coming out? I just, it it really blows my mind in the very best of ways. And I don't think it ever, ever, ever gets old. So I'm just excited to be in the publishing world whatsoever so Uh, everything that happens on top of it is like the most exciting ever that is amazing um are you doing a a book tour that you know of currently for this one and if so like can people find information about that yes um i think that i've got stuff on my blog and on twitter i try to keep it on social media i don't think i have it in my pinned tweet though which i probably should have been doing. <laughs> i was gonna say that was it was a leading question because i was i feel like i definitely saw it on your twitter <laughs> somewhere around here yeah so yeah i'll be in new york at books of wonder i'll be in connecticut at rj julia i will be in nashville at vanderbilt barnes and noble um knoxville at union avenue books and then i will be in Woodstock, Georgia, 
at Foxtail Bookshop, which is, I love that. It's such a, such a mm-hmm. cute store. Did you know that off the top of your head or did you happen to be looking at that? No, I actually did that off the top of my head. Oh. So I'm really, I, have, I don't wow. know the dates off the top of my wow. head, but I'm really proud. <laughs> that is very impressive. Um, okay. Last question <laughs> for you. What do you hope that people take away from escaping Houdini from Houdini? Oh my gosh, Adam, these are all really great questions. (laughs) Well, thank you. I hope that they just really enjoy themselves and that they get swept up in the magic and the illusions, that they question everything, including characters and their motives, and that they just have a really good time, even though, albeit that they might, you know, shake their fists at certain parts or feel their hearts breaking a little bit. I hope that at the end it's redemption and joy and they just felt like they've gone on a really great journey. Well, Carrie, I normally tell people to go, you know, when the book becomes available, which is September 18th, right? Yep. Okay, so I normally tell people to go, you know, borrow from their library and things like that. But your particular books, much like how my wife has done it, I recommend everyone go purchase them because on a, in addition to them being amazing books, they are absolutely, the covers are just gorgeous and you're going to want to display oh them. I, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I thank you so much for coming back out and chatting with me. I love catching up with you. Thank you so much for having me. I always have such a great time. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly. And our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.